0: Welcome back to the Junkyard Pod. I'm your host, Tony Pesta, alongside my co-host, Jackson Flickinger. And today we are joined by a very special guest, Justin Rowan of the Chase Down Pod. How are you doing, Justin?
1: I'm doing good. Thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thank you for coming on, man. Really excited. Uh, We have a good pod ahead of us because I don't know if you've heard, but Cleveland Cavaliers play playoff basketball this week. Not playing basketball, playoff basketball. The Cavs (laughs) are back in the playoffs and are set for a first round matchup against the New York Knicks that has already gotten a little feisty between the fan bases on Twitter. But today we're going to skip all of that. We're going to focus specifically on the Cavs and their rotation, who should be in the lineup, who's going to impact the series for better or worse in a Cavalier uniform. And we'll start off with the layup for our guests because I think we all agree, Justin, who will be the best player on the floor for Cleveland in round one?
1: Ooh, so I do think it's going to be Donovan Mitchell, but I I think for the Cavs to have their best chance, I wouldn't be shocked if Darius doesn't need to kind of get himself into that conversation because I have a sneaking suspicion. You're going to see the Knicks play a lot of drop. They're going to try to do things to take away the bigs and take them out of the action. And I think it's going to be on Garland to kind of force some assertiveness there to take those pull up shots to, to kind of get up the volume three point shooting that we've seen at from time that, uh from him, but Yeah, I I, I think if you're going to say who's going to be best overall, I I think it's going to be Donovan Mitchell. I I think playoff experience just matters so much. And this is a guy that's in the top 10 all time in playoff scoring per game. So I got a little cute with my answer, but I'm going to go with a logical conclusion.
0: Yeah, you know, Donovan Mitchell. Oh, sorry, Jackson, I'll flip to you real quick. I just wanted to say uh Probably going to be all NBA first team. It's looking like the votes so far are encouraging. So I feel confident saying he's probably at least one level ahead of the other guys in the series. Jackson, how do you feel?
2: Uh, Yeah, it is definitely Donovan Mitchell. He has been the best player for the Cavs all season. He's having one of the best seasons in Cavalier history from somebody not named LeBron James. It's, you know, it's definitely him, but I think the Darius Garland conversation is really interesting and I'm glad that, Justin brought that up because you know he is going to be so important in this series especially with you know how the one of the things that the Knicks did well against the Cavs in their previous meetings is they did a good job of containing Garland but they also were able to do that without Allen and Mobley both on the court together so it's really going to be interesting to see how they're able to contain him when you have the threat of Allen and Mobley finishing inside.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah I I mean if Donovan is the consensus number one I think it's worth noting that there's a chance that Darius Garland could be the second best player in this series like I think he is in the same tier as Jalen Brunson I think in a vacuum I might take him uh I I got some flack for that on on a Knicks pod but you saw Garland last year uh he was the the best player on a team that was a game away from the the one seed at the all-star break-in uh, post all-star break averaging 25 and 10 despite having a bad back I mean he's taken a little bit of a backseat from a statistics standpoint but this is a guy we've already seen can drive winning at a very high level and doing it without an all-nba teammate like Jalen Brunson had and I I think with Julius Randle's uncertainty with the ankle even if he does play I don't know if you're going to get a hundred percent Julius Randle. so I think Brunson would be the guy that we would all kind of nominate as the next best player for this series but there is a chance that Garland could outplay him or or, you know, at least do what Kyrie did to Steph in those finals, where it's a conversation, right? That you're you're playing at that same level.
0: Yeah, I love that you made the Kyrie Steph comparison because I did that on the last pod. I was, you know, I think the Knicks Twitter was not very happy with me saying Darius Garland could be the second best player in the series. I think really where I ran into trouble is I said, Darius and Mobley could be the second and third, which maybe I'm getting a little greedy. I'll <laughs> give them that. But I do think Garland could be the second best player on the court. It's up in the air. Again, I, I also agree that Jalen Brunson's probably in the same tier. It's kind of neck and neck. Uh, I think, you know, this is a, a good time just to move right into the second question because I, we pretty much all agreed Mitchell is going to be the best player for Cleveland. Uh, currently on fear of the sword, there's a survey going on for everyone to, we're asking, who do you think will be the second most important player? Justin, you already said you think it could be Darius Garland Jackson. How do you feel about that? Um, I think, I don't know. Cause you need both
2: Garland and, and Mobley to be really good. You know, it's it's really tough to kind of choose between both because what Mobley does defensively just makes the Cavs who they are. But on the on the other side, without Garland, you don't really have that interior scoring that you get from Allen and Mobley. So it's kind of a tough question. I would kind of, going back to what you just said earlier, Tony, I, are we sure Mobley isn't a second best player? in this series i mean we're talking about him like he's the best defensive player in the entire league and i think he has been um with what he's shown on the on the offensive side can
0: he be the second best player in this series yeah. yeah i mean i think it's possible i you know i think we all are on the same page that mobley within a few years will probably be the second if not the best player on the team uh i think where i get a little nervous and where i kind of lean garland as more likely to you know, take that leap. It's just that he's a little older. I know the age gap isn't that big, but Mobley's still 21. It's only a second season. He's going to be going up against uh, a, a good front court, and so I don't think that he's going to struggle. But you know, will he be the second best player on the floor with two guys who are potentially All NBA? Or, I mean, and all a guy who missed the All Star team just barely, and then an All NBA guy potentially in Randall. Granted, you know we don't know how he will look if he's if he'll be 100, but it's a tough matchup for your first uh, NBA playoff berth. So don't get me wrong. I'm all on the Evan Mobley train. I think he could be incredible. He has had basically every month this season. He has just gotten better and better. So, yeah, how do you feel about that, Justin? Would you Do you think Evan Mobley could be the second best player in this series? I think he
1: can, but my thinking is that the route to Mobley being that second best player in the series is dependent to some extent on Darius Garland because I, I think – if I'm putting myself in Tibbs' shoes, what I would see him doing is trying to take everybody else out of the game, right? We're, we're going to ignore Isaac Coral for the most part. We're, we're going to play drop. We're going to try to take away those passes to Jared Allen and Evan Mobley and force Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland to beat us. And I, I think they need to tip the scale so dramatically with their scoring that it starts to open up opportunities for everyone else. And that was really kind of the the light bulb moment for, for Darius in the second year of his career too, was he was such a pass first guy. And it was at the tail end of the year where all of a sudden he started taking more shots and he realized, oh God, this is opening up opportunities for everybody else. And I think because the Cavs don't have a lot of perimeter spacing, they generate spacing through their movement and through their ball movement as well right their playmaking so i think garland would need to be good enough to open up the opportunities for evan mobley so that's why i i still kind of lean garland when it comes to this because as important as the defense is in the playoffs so often it comes down to who's going to get you that bucket or who's going to generate an opportunity when everything's broken down i think darius is more prepared at this stage of his career to do that
2: I think you are correct about that. I think one of the things that makes this Cavs group so interesting, I think, is how well they all fit together and how well they complement each other. It's like when you talk about what Evan does best, he's able to do that because what Darius Garland provides and what what Darius does best on offense, it's because Allen and Mobley can just finish in the paint so well. So that's where it gets you're like splitting hairs. I think when you're talking about who is like the second most important, I think it's really like for the Cavs, all four guys are really important and for them to be at their best, they need to all be working together. And I think that is really interesting about, you know, you talking about how they're probably going to make Darius Garland be a scorer. That's, you know, that's something that he's going to have to, you know, accept.
1: Yeah. 100% 100% and I, I think the the secret sauce for the Cavs in the playoffs sure this series you're gonna have the best player in Donovan Mitchell but we've also seen him get outplayed by Jalen Brunson right like we, we've seen that movie before and I, I would expect Mitchell to be the best player in this series pretty, pretty comfortably I, I think there were unique circumstances last year uh, but if they do advance beyond this round and even just projecting forward for the next couple of years given the top end talent in the Eastern Conference they're likely not always going to have the best player in the series like we used to have in all these playoff runs with LeBron James, but you probably need to have number two, number three, maybe even number four in Mitchell, Mobley, and Garland in, in whatever order that kind of materializes. That needs to be the standard because when you make these consolidation trades, you become a little more top-heavy. It's nice that the Cavs have four of those guys, but those guys all need to kind of assert themselves and make it very clear that they are they belong at that kind of ranking within the the overall players within the series.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point because uh in this first round matchup with the Knicks, I think it could be as simple as hey, Donovan Mitchell's the best player in the series, the Cavs could squeeze by just on that. But if the Cavs want to win comfortably and if they want to do it in a way that's encouraging for, you know, a longer playoff run or just the future in general, you do need to see Garland and Mobley perform uh, within that same caliber as Brunson and Randall. Otherwise, this could be a seven-game series where Mitchell has to put the team on his back. Uh, To your point about Garland needing to be a scorer, uh, I do think that'll be a major key there. I think, you know, the Knicks, they have some good defensive backcourt players, Grimes, Hart, those are guys that could give Garland trouble. But uh, he hasn't seemed that bothered by Brunson at all. In that most recent game, he blew by him almost every time looking at the film. So I don't doubt that he'll be able to get into the middle of the floor. The question is, is he going to be assertive? Is he going to hunt for that mid-range shot? His floaters, he's shooting 51% in the 10 to 16 feet range this year, which is a career high. He's also shooting 61% at the rim, another career high. And he's attempting the most free throw attempts of his career. So I do think uh, the signs are good for Garland in this regard. I think... He's had, in my opinion, the best season of his career. I know people – I think in January this narrative kind of started to form where he was a little banged up. We went through a gauntlet against some really good teams and he didn't perform his best. And now all of a sudden there's this narrative that he doesn't perform against you know good teams. He doesn't show up in big games. Uh, <laughs> I think that's overblown personally. Yeah. I think – especially when you look at the last few weeks, I don't want to make any excuses, but I do think he kind of took his eye off the ball and he was just so excited to get into the playoffs that he didn't look himself. He didn't look engaged. And I'm expecting all of that to be ramped up once he enters the playoffs uh, because the difference maker for me when it comes to, you know, we talk about Brunson and Garland being in the same tier. The thing that sets them apart for me is uh, Garland's ability to control the game without really scoring. He is such an incredible floor general, and he has been able to just completely control games for the Cavs this year through his passing. Uh, A stat that I want to bring up that I absolutely love is that, with Garland in the lineup, the Cavs have the second best offensive rating in the league. Without him this season, they're 24th. It just plummets. <laughs> and so he is a very important player to their offense, even when it seems like he's not being assertive or scoring. Just his passing and his ability to get Mobley and Allen involved, you know, all these different things. When we talk about the Cavs working their best when everyone's involved. It all kind of relies on Garland to do that.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And then, like, you look at the EPM rankings, and obviously catch-alls are, aren't perfect. Uh, I think they're more flawed on the defensive side than they are on the offensive side. But you, you look at it overall, and in this series, number one, no surprise, is Donovan Mitchell. Number two is Darius Garland. And the gap between Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell is uh, half the size of the gap between Julius Randle and Darius Garland when, when you look at overall impact. And, and Garland's, you know... This is two years in a row where he's shown up as a plus defender or, or a break-even defender. I'd, I'd argue this year uh, he's kind of graduated to slight plus on that end. Uh, but he's going to need to be good on both ends. He's going to need to be assertive. I, I hope that he was kind of coasting down the stretch here because even though he was impactful in terms of setting guys up... He's going to need to play better because the the calves as i said they're top heavy team he's going to need to be the best version of darius garland and if we're getting the best version of darius garland if we get the version of darius garland that we saw against brooklyn in the play-in this is going to be a shorter series or a more comfortable series because i just have a hard time picturing the Cavs with what we've seen the last like two and a half years when darius garland is playing well it makes absolutely everything easier for everybody else. So if he's playing well, I, I really think the, the tail of the tape and the tail of the stats is that it's the tide that raises all boats. So I, I do think while Donovan might be our, our best player in the series, Garland's going to be the X factor.
2: Uh I'm gonna just kind of make the case for uh why Evan's so important in this series. So what makes the Knicks really interesting, I think, is that they have this season they've posted the second best offensive rating, but they have the 20th best effective goal percentage. They're able to do this by just, they um, value the ball. They get to the free throw line, but they're second best in an um, offensive rebound percentage. Evan Mobley is going to need to take care of that on the defensive end. He's going to need to be able to end possession. Same with, same with Jared Allen. You have, you know, the Cavs, other starters garland mitchell okoro not you know they aren't the guys that you're going to be getting great rebounding from i think the Cavs are kind of short-handed in the front court as well i think dean wade is better at the three you know so i think it really just falls on evan mobley and jared allen to really take care of the uh defensive glass and end those possessions
1: mm-hmm. no i i think that's a great point i i think sometimes too often i i think of defensive rebounding more in the team sense than the individual. But when you look at what Evan Mobley is able to do in the way that he's able to disrupt what offenses can do, I think there is a very strong case for just the way that he can change a series. because I mean, God, we, we saw tristan thompson blow up at the time what was the greatest offense that we have seen just because of his versatility his ability to switch and that's like six nine six ten tristan thompson not evan mobley who's a much better switcher he's seven feet tall uh just you know the, the like a supernatural gift on the defensive end and obviously where he's going on on the offensive end as well, which is just continuing to improve. So I definitely think there's a case to be made for Mobley. Um, and I'm curious to see what he does in this matchup because they can limit those second chance opportunities. I think it's going to be really hard for the Knicks to generate an efficient enough offense to beat the Cavs.
0: Yeah, that's how I view the uh, rebounding discussion because the Knicks, of course, are a very good offensive rebounding team. But as I've been saying on Twitter, I would rather be where the Cavs are in this matchup where it's like, as long as we don't get decimated on the offensive glass, we should be in the driver's seat. Obviously there are many factors that could change that, but for the Knicks, it feels like so much of discussion. The discussion is, Hey, we need to get these second chance points. We need to scrap and hustle if we want to win this series. And I would just rather be in the Cavs situation where it's like, Hey, Mobley Allen, you know, Mitchell isn't the best rebounder, but he has shown that he can contribute there. It's like, If we just take care of business, we don't even necessarily need to win the rebounding battle every night. Just don't get killed, and we probably are going to be in the driver's seat for this series. Uh, Mobley, of course, his versatility on defense is going to be such a massive key in any round of the playoffs if they can can go further. Just because, uh, you know, he could be the defensive player of the year. I don't think he'll end up winning it. But, hey, even if he wins next year, he would still be the youngest defensive player of the year ever, which is just how crazy it is that he is already at this level at his age. Uh, Being able to contain the perimeter, helping the paint with Allen on his backside, I think Randall, even if he is healthy, this would have been a very tough matchup for him. And so, yeah, I think you could easily make the case that Mobley, through his defense and his offensive offensive development, as we've seen, could be the second most important player in the series, for sure, for Cleveland, at least. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I,
1: I completely agree. I'm I'm so excited for the series, guys. Like, <laughs> every time we, we start, like, getting into kind of the X's and O's and, and w- what's going to end up mattering, like, it's just, it's getting me so excited because it's been a while since we've talked about it. And honestly, it's been a while. Wa- I don't know if we've ever really had it as Cavs fans, where you're going into a series where kind of these tactical considerations really need to kind of be mulled over and think about the adjustments, because we used to just have the ultimate problem solver slash problem creator for the other side, which was LeBron James. Like, we had no business winning that series against Indiana in the first round of 2018. Like, as great as that run, run was, we very easily could have uh, lost Game 7 if it wasn't for, like, Vintage LeBron James and a throwback performance from Tristan Thompson, right? Like, it just solved so many things. And especially that first run, like, really smoothed over. People forget we're a LeBron game winner away from going down 3-1 to the Chicago Bulls, right? Like, um, so this is going to be such a more kind of interesting matchup. And even from a coaching perspective, like, figuring out, like, what kind of, what to expect from J.B. Bickerstaff when it comes to preparation. These teams are going to have eight like eight days off basically or 10 days since they played a relevant basketball game like how are these coaches able to to prepare be, these teams and and get them ready it's there's just there's so many things to to talk about my my head's just spinning
0: yeah uh x's nose go out the window when you have lebron on your team and can just overcome <laughs> all of that for you uh, it'll be a little little different this year uh which is very exciting uh One other thing that I want to talk about with Mobley before we move ahead. And then if you guys have anything, of course, you can add in. But uh, in terms of his offensive development, something that really stood out to me in March is that he averaged almost four assists per game. And he seemed to get a lot of reps as an offensive hub. They were dumping the ball to him at the elbow and really letting him make decisions out of that. And that's something where if Mobley can continue to be a threat and just a great decision maker in the middle of the floor like that, I think it opens up so many things for the Cavs and it's going to keep Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle engaged on that defensive end. Don't let them roam around. Don't let them take any plays off. If Mobley is going to continue being a threat shooting 80% at the rim this year. And it's just something where, like, yeah, I mean, Mobley, we know the defense is probably going to be there. He's probably going to look pretty good defensively, but if he has a great offensive series, which is a big ask for someone his age and I don't want to put too many expectations on him, but I mean, if he comes out averaging 18 to 20 points on, you know, good efficiency, like things get really difficult to see the Cavs dropping this series. Of course, it's a, a bold take, but I think the offensive development is there and the playmaking is something that really excites me. How do you two feel about Mobley's playmaking?
2: Yeah. Um, I, go go ahead. Oh, uh, I was just going to say, I think the, I think the Mobley conversation is really interesting because he's, I think he's the biggest question mark on the um, offensive side of the court. We really, you know, he's done his best work at the rim and he's been getting to the free throw line a little bit better lately. And as you were saying, he's shown that he is capable of making decisions with the ball in his hands, but I'm just kind of unsure of how he's going to hold up with playoff physicality. I know that sounds like a sports radio call in take, <laughs> but something that we've really seen when he struggles this year, he's not able to get set and he's off balance when he's taking those shots. I think that's why we see him not do so well in those short mid range shots. And he takes a lot of them because sometimes he gets kind of, I don't know, like walled off. So Mm -hmm. I'm just really interested to see kind of, is he able to get to his spots? Is he able to, you know, to play make is he able to get jared allen involved i think that two-man game is going to be really important that high low action that we've kind of seen from them and that's that's what i want to see from him when we talk about his playmaking
1: mm-hmm. yeah i i, th- I think those are, are really really smart points and i i feel the same way and that's probably why i kind of leaned uh more darius garland when it came to kind of being the number two in this situation because i just what Mobley does offensively just doesn't feel kind of like at that inevitable stage yet where it's like, it doesn't matter what defenses are throwing at him. Um, we, we even saw in the Brooklyn playing game and we saw at times this year he can get sped up, right? Like when, when it is a big game and and make some mistakes, I, I think he had a, a particularly rough game against Philly. If I'm remembering correctly, um, there were so many statement games, quote unquote, uh, throughout the year that I get them mixed up, but there are times where he does get rushed and we've seen him adjust in the second half and uh, kind of settle in, but the the Cavs don't have that front court playmaker at the small forward position. And it really does need to be Evan Mobley because the, the reason why you don't see guards win NBA titles as the best player on a team is because there's just things due to height limitations that defenses can do to the guard position. And uh, the the rare exceptions you see, I mean, Steph Curry, when everyone's hurt, or uh, when, when Kevin Durant's there, or even just having Draymond Green being that front court playmaker, right, that's going to open up those opportunities. And I think in a lot of ways, Evan Mobley kind of has to be Draymond for the Cavs because what Tibbs, what Bud, what uh, any of these playoff coaches are going to try to do to Garland and Mitchell is going to be a whole lot harder to do if Evan Mobley is acting as a hub and those guys are moving off ball, their ability to relocate, the three-man actions that uh, JB runs. I, I think it's just it's too hard when all three of them are clicking and playing well it's just an unknown it's just an unknown is he going to be as assertive as he needs to be with what tibbs is doing to try to take him out of the game because i do think trying to take evan mobley out of the game is going to be a big priority for the knicks
0: yeah. I love the Draymond Mobley comparison just because I wasn't bold enough to let it fly yet. I see a lot of, you know, when they run that little short roll, Mobley throws a lot to Allen. I see a lot of Draymond on the short roll to Kevon Looney, McGee, whoever else is there. And it's like if Mobley can just continue to work on that, catching the ball, not getting sped up in the middle of the floor and making consistent reads, whether it be to the corner, which obviously having you know better shooters there would help him with that. Uh Jared Allen in the dunker spot, Acquaro moving off ball, or even just taking his own shot and being confident in it, and not being you know walled off or forced into something off balance. I think that's going to be a really big key for Mobley and the Cavs in general moving forward through, however many years we have this title contender team.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think I don't think Mobley is ever going to be the passer that Draymond is. Like Draymond just has such great vision, but Mobley can obviously be more of a scoring threat, right? And that opens up opportunities. And it's all about how efficiently everybody works within this ecosystem and I, I think that's one of the most encouraging things from this season is just kind of the proof of concept of how good garland mitchell and mobley are together and and Allen as well i i shouldn't i shouldn't exclude him because when you look at the numbers for the season Allen moves the needle more offensively than people realize like i, I think that gets overlooked too frequently and especially when people talk about these matchups against the knicks in the regular season like jared allen was not in two of these games two of these these losses and um he changes what the Cavs are able to do offensively because it just becomes so much harder to to bottle those guys up when you have uh that kind of threat that has that kind of gravity on the roll uh that's able to free them up with the picks like uh, there's just when when all four are playing, it, the cats are just a really, really, really damn hard team to beat.
2: Yeah, I am. I am really glad you brought up Jared, Jared Allen and what he provides on the um, offensive end. It's crazy when Garland, Allen and Mobley are um, on the floor. The cats have a 120.5 offensive rating, which is in the 91st percentile, going back and looking at. those um, Knicks games, you saw how Darius Garland struggled in the most recent game. They were able, the Knicks did a good job of throwing a lot of bodies at at him, making it difficult for him to kind of get to his spots. But when you have Jared Allen, you really can't do that. And that's what we saw, you know, in their previous matchup in January, the only one that all four of the Cavs' core four actually played together. You know, teams can't do that when you're when you're doing that because if you put guys on um, on Garland, Allen and Mobley are there to finish at the rim. They're two of the best finishers at the rim, you know, this season, and that's you know that's what makes this this team so good. And you you get that with Jared Allen.
0: Yeah, I agree, and that takes us into our you know next topic here. I lumped Jared Allen and Isaac Okoro together uh, just because those are the other two starters, and I think in many ways they're kind of the X factors here. And then, you know, just because they're both, they feel like the unsung heroes of the Cavs. It seems like they never get the credit that they deserve despite being so integral. Like if you take one of them out of the lineup or both of them, as we saw in that Knicks matchup, it's like the Jenga tower just falls down and what the Cavs try to do. It just doesn't work as well without those two out there Uh, with Allen. I honestly think if he can win that matchup against Robinson, the Cavs chances of winning the series go up exponentially. I think if he dominates the glass, uh, so much of the pressure is going to be on him to you know take care of business in the rebounding department Uh, which you know part of the reason why the Knicks get a lot of rebounds if we can just briefly talk about this is they shoot a lot of threes and they miss a lot of threes which leads to long rebounds and it's just one of those situations where like if you play them in a seven game series I think the team the Cavs will adjust they'll get in the right spot I trust Allen to figure out how to get these rebounds and Like I said, a lot of the pressure is going to come on to him because he is the best rebounder on the team. And if he's able to keep Mitchell Robinson off the glass, again, the Cavs' chances just go up so much. Yeah, I I think
1: having done a a few Knicks podcasts as well before this, I think there seems to be a perception that Garland and Quickly can be a bit of a push for the series and that Mitchell Robinson and Jared Allen can be a push for the Knicks and i don't think that should be the case and uh, i think if that is the case that's going to make this a lot harder of a, a series but i i think garland and allen they're just another level like robinson's had a nice season and um the the parallel that is interesting though is isaac okoro and josh hart because he, even though josh hart you know he, he's more of a rebounder i i think he gets utilized more as a passer They're also very kind of similar in guys that are a little shorter in stature, but able to take away guys at the point of attack. They're Swiss Army Knights on the defensive end of the floor. And that, to me, is a really, really interesting matchup. And I I know everyone focuses on the three-point shooting with Isaac Okoro, but I don't know if you guys, let me know if you disagree, but I think even if Okoro shot two of five from three every single game, I don't think Tibbs changes how they defend them. Like, shooting 40% on decent volume, I don't think they change anything up defensively because, especially with the starting lineup, that's going to be the look you give up. Like, you're fine with that if you're able to limit what the rest of the core is doing. But what I find to be more interesting is, assuming Okoro's healthy, is the actions they use where he's a screener, right? Getting whoever they're sticking on Okoro into action. And I assume... The guy that the Knicks would try to hide would be Jalen Brunson uh, or maybe RJ Barrett. So uh, if they're able to use utilize Isaac Okoro in that way, is that opening up opportunities for everybody else? And Is that compromising the Knicks defensive scheme a, and making it easier for Evan Mobley and all the other conversations we've had earlier? So I do think Okoro is a really interesting kind of X factor going into the series.
2: I definitely agree with you there. And yeah, they're not gonna change you will always live with whatever that fifth guy is gonna give you if the other options are Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Mobley, Allen. Like that's just how this team is built. Um, but I think the teams that have I feel like the teams that have given the Cavs the most problems are the teams that are able to kind of put a roamer on Isaac Okoro. You see that a lot more. Yeah. When out when either Allen or Mobley aren't out there, the game that really comes to mind is that Sixers game that Allen missed, where they just put Embiid on Okoro and said, We're just gonna mess everything up with Embiid just standing at the rim. And if you're if you're gonna hide, you know, Brunson on Okoro, you like Brunson's not the off-ball, you know defender that's gonna, you know, mess up the Garland, Allen pick and rolls and stuff like that. So I think this is kind of a good matchup for Isaac Okoro to just kind of do what he does best and mostly just bring it on the defensive end of the floor.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a really smart point. And I agree. Like when you're able to put that Swiss army knife on, on Isaac Okoro, I think that jeopardizes what the Cavs do offensively more so than, than hiding someone there. And who knows, maybe, maybe Tibbs feels confident enough in what his guys are going to do that he doesn't feel the need to, to hide anyone in. I kind of hope that that's the the case with, with JB as well. Like, I think uh, we we talked about this uh, on the chase down, but and Carter's brought it up before. But I think sometimes JB feels the need to hide Garland more than he needs to. Whereas just sticking to your guns, playing it straight up. Like, I'm I'm even worried. Like, given the Knicks' ability to generate second chance opportunities, and I think we all know that volume three point shooting is. Uh, an area of concern for the Cavs like I'm curious do do the Cavs stay at home with shooters or are they going to kind of show and recover when when uh Julius Randle has the ball up top because I, I do expect Randle to play at some point this series um and that was a big part of that that game where they killed us was you know little show and recovers uh um post splits that that kind of you just dropped off a little too much and, and you come up with those late contests like those are the type of sets that I worry about. And sometimes I just wonder if they'd be better off just staying home. I, I mean, it's hard to complain too much about the, the best defense in the league. And you look at the even the three-point defense numbers, and they're all very good as well. Uh, the percentages just aren't. So there, there's some indications of luck. But I do think there's also that element uh, of getting guys out of the rhythm and um, trying your best uh, to to prevent the, those situations from snowballing.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's, I really like that you brought up that point about Garland. One of the things that I've been kind of thinking about is I think the toughest matchup for Garland on the defensive end has been the heat this year. Cause they've been, they did a, they were always trying to get Butler. they were trying to get Garland switched onto Butler. And I felt like that the Cavs trying to protect him. I felt like, kind of hurt their chances he ended up with five fouls in two of the games that he played against them. a lot of those fouls were when he was trying to hedge or when he was late trying to recover back to his guy after the rotation so I'm really interested to I don't I'm really interested to see how JB handles that and I also don't think the Knicks really have the personnel where you'd be scared like that where Jimmy Butler could just physically overpower Darius.
1: No, I, I completely agree, and that's, I mean, the, I hate making the comparisons to the Warriors, but th- there just are kind of applicable comparisons to the Warriors, uh, like lineups that didn't always have the best spacing, but because of the gravity of their two guards, it opens up opportunities, and uh, I think Darius is what he should be looking at, and I know when we talked to uh, Jamal Richardson, uh, his trainer in the preseason, talking about how much Steph Curry he watched, right, And and... Steph got to the point where he's a solid defender, but there's going to be limitations with size, right? Like the Cavs put him uh because the Warriors were switching everything, they put him in every single pick and roll. You whoever he was guarding, you you put him there to the switch and try to take advantage of those size mismatches and I do like that the Cavs don't auto switch everything. Like that's that's one of my biggest gripes in the NBA is the the soft switching that we see. Like I just don't think it's necessary, but there are going to be times where guys will will be able to to switch on a garland and there will be those size mismatches but i think your hope is just not to foul in those spots just be in position and and trust that the help is going to be there and i have a lot more confidence in the gas help defense if dean wade is starting to play like a version of himself because he gives them just you know one more 610 body that's able to defend on the perimeter and rotate down to the rim
0: yeah, that's one of the things I'm most excited for in this series is just watching the adjustments that are going to be made because uh, this is the first time this young course had a chance to go against the same team over and over again. This is the first time JB will have a chance to show what he's made up, uh, made of. Uh, defensively, I trust him. I think if there's one thing JB has shown is that he can make defensive adjustments. One of the more encouraging things for me when I was going back and watching their games against the Knicks, those early season games, especially the one where Randall cooked us from deep, The rotations, the way we defended the three-point line, everything just seemed so like everyone was thinking about it. You could see the thought process. Everything was a step behind. And then when you watch how they've been played more recently towards the end of the season, it's more second nature. The team is more on a string. They're rotating a lot better. They're not overhelping as much. And they are the best defensive team in the NBA. So I think there's been a lot of improvement there that just comes from playing together. And, of course, the coaching of J.B. Bickerstaff. Offensively, bringing this back to Okoro for a second, I do think one thing the Cavs need to make sure they don't do in this series and moving forward is they don't want to be too predictable. I don't want them to just stick a coro in the corner and let him stand there. And then, again, we've mentioned the Knicks maybe don't have that guy who can roll off ball, but it's still not a habit you want to build. I like seeing a coro used as a screener. I think there's some work that needs to be done there. Uh, I don't remember if it was the Miami game or Portland, but there was one game where they used coro as a screener like three or four times at the end and the execution wasn't there. It it didn't necessarily work, but he did get an end one, I believe. And you can see how having a quoro move off the ball and this kind of freelance motion offense, it works a lot better than just having everyone stand there. And I think, again, this is where JB, his talent as a coach, is going to have to come through. And I also think Garland, as a floor general, he needs to be the QB. He needs to be able to call audibles, see something on the floor, and get it going because I think one of the problems with Garland in the clutch this season – has boiled down to, I don't want to say not being assertive, but being predictable. It's very easy for the de- the defense when they know the ball is going to Donovan Mitchell. And I think Garland needs to realize, hey, Mitchell's not open. They're trapping him, all the attention's on him, and I need to go make something happen before the shot clock gets down to five seconds. Because it seems like they just try to force that first option over and over until it's pace too late. Play, and then he has to- Exactly. Pace of play.
1: Like, I think people associate pace with, like, are you running in transition no just get into your sets earlier and I I think that's the biggest kind of failing uh in a very successful season for for Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell and this is something that Mitchell did a whole lot in Utah too like he would let the clock run all the way down in these important possessions and kind of go hero ball and a lot of times it's because that's what was necessary for him but I, I do think given how much movement is within the Cavs offense and how many players get involved in every single action you need to get into those sets earlier in the shot clock and i think that that's going to be one of my biggest questions because i i think if the Cavs take care of business and defend home court in moves one and two i feel really good about their ability to maybe close that out even in five uh we'll, we'll get to my actual prediction I, I think it's going to go a little longer than that and i think if it does go longer it's going to be because of some of these late game situations where I think sometimes it comes out of a a desire to get the most out of the possession and not rush the play or you know I I think you notice it more against some of these better teams just because they're valuing the possessions more in their head where if they just kind of went out and played a little looser and, and played their style I think they would be better off and it reminds me of the playing game against Atlanta like when they were dominating atlanta at the start of that game they were playing free they were uh getting into their sets earlier in the shot clock and then down the stretch it was just late shot clock bailout shots i remember karis lavert i think he airballed a, a shot down the stretch like garland uh w- was taking too long to get into their sets they need to utilize the shot clock better and, and get into these sets earlier because i i think you're making new york's job way too easy if you're getting into your action with seven seconds left on the clock.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the value of using a coro as a screener too, because when you use him, teams have shown, especially at the end of games, as we've said, they're going to pick their poison and it's going to be, Hey, a Quoro make a play. And so when a Quoro sets that screen up top, two defenders are going to go to Garland or Mitchell, whoever's handling the ball. And if you can make that quick pass to a Quoro, swing it back to whoever the other guard is. Now you're running offense. Now you got Garland or Mitchell, and more of a one-on-one situation. And hopefully if you get into your set early enough, you can try to attack that. And if not, you know, get back into your second option. So yeah, pace of play, not being predictable. Those are all, all going to be very big keys for the Cavs as they play the same team over and over again. You get to game five, you don't want to be running the exact same action and getting everything blown up with five seconds on the clock and you have to force something up there.
1: Yeah. And I think sometimes who they use as a screener might, based on defensive personnel as well right like that Miami example that you highlighted part of the reason why they used Isaac Okoro down the stretch there as a screener was because you had Jimmy on Mobley and you had Bam on Jared Allen so if you use either of them as the screener in that situation all of a sudden that trap is going to have Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo there versus using Okoro even though the the play the execution could have been a whole lot better with those kind of three consecutive, Uh, they got good results, but the execution could have been better. The reason you do that is because you have Tyler Hero out there with his his 6'4 wingspan and and just much, much easier uh, situation for Garland or Mitchell to navigate. So uh, I am very curious to see how they use Isaac Okoro because, I mean, that that was one of the examples we saw with Brooklyn using Bruce Brown last year, right? And, And we said, hey, it'd be great to see Isaac develop this kind of aspect of his game especially with his vision as a passer and and as a connecting piece because that's a way that you can get him to be viable in the playoffs even if the shot isn't coming along and if he's doing that stuff with also shooting pretty well from three then then you're feeling great about where the Cavs are in this series
0: I agree with everything you said right there I think there's just so many factors for the Cavs where it's like if they manage to play with their identity and their brand of basketball, they're going to be pretty comfortable moving forward. Of course, like you said, we'll get to our predictions. I do think this is going to be a competitive series. I feel like a lot of times when I'm talking about this, I make it seem like I think the Cavs are just going to steamroll the Knicks. I think there's a very strong case to be made that it could go six or seven. But uh, moving into this, and I want to flip this over to Jackson because I think this is where a lot of people are going to have disagreements and and really JB has a tough task ahead of him because. Of course, the rotations are going to slim down in the playoffs. But, Jackson, who do you think belongs in the second unit for Cleveland?
2: Uh, Well, Karis Karis LeVert, obviously. Um, That's a given. I don't think we need to really talk about Karis LeVert too much. We've talked about Karis LeVert a lot on this podcast. (laughs) Um, But outside of that, things get really difficult. Um, I don't know how much you trust Ricky Rubio. I, you know... I know that he's not somebody that you can just look at his, you know, shooting profile and you know his uh, field goal percentage, but things have been really bad recently, and I just don't think. I think the Cavs may be better off just, you know, using the backup point guard position, kind of like how they do the backup center, where you just have two of Levert garland and mitchell out there at all times i think that's enough that gives you more minutes to kind of play with on Neum wing it gives you more length on the court as well you can cycle in dean wade lamar stevens jetty osman and maybe even danny green i i'm skeptical that you can give danny green minutes at this point in time he hasn't played more than 18 minutes with any member of <laughs> the core four this season which i don't know that seems like that should matter so just a, just two games against you know teams that have been out of it for months doesn't really change that for me, unfortunately. But even if you did get crazy and wanted to give Green some minutes, you're going to have to take those minutes away from somebody else. And I think Rubio may be the guy that you would take that away from.
1: Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with everything you said. I, I think I would like Karras to be the third guard functionally, right? Like, I, I think you want to have as much length as possible. New York is not a small team. Jalen Brunson is kind of the, the one lone uh, small guy out there. And I, I think I, I'd want Karis Car- to be kind of the sixth man. I think Dean Wade would be my seventh. And then Jetty Osman or Dean Wade, based on, on what how comfortable JB feels in, with what they're seeing in practice. Um, I do have concerns about Danny Green's ability to move around on the defensive uh, end—I think that would be my biggest concern. I I think he's going to hit open shots. Uh, I I think he's about as plug-and-play as it gets on the offensive end, but he still looks like he's moving around with heavy feet. But if if JB feels hey, he can give us spot minutes here, I'm going to play him with at least two or three really good defenders at all times to to try to prevent him from getting hunted a little too much. I think it's worth trying it and. I also think teams sometimes get a little too away from their offense trying to hunt one guy so so maybe Danny Green can bait the Knicks into doing that and, and getting out of their rhythm um which which I mean that's not that's that's not exactly uh your, my favorite playoff strategy if that's the reasoning that's basically hey let's use the goat from Jurassic Park <laughs> and, and hope <laughs> this works
2: out well for us
1: um but no I, I think he does bring something unique, which is that ability to, to be a movement shooter and that quick trigger that he has. And I could see some functionality there. But I, I share your concerns. I, I it's just, it's a tough, tough ask to, to play that few minutes in the regular season. I guess the Cavs and Suns both trying to uh, integrate a, a small forward that hasn't played many minutes with the team.
2: <laughs> well, who do you trust more uh, on the uh, defensive end, Jetty or uh, Danny Green at this point?
1: probably Jetty um just ability to move feet we, we've seen him kind of dig in I I do have more concern about the volatility on that end like I, I think you might get kind of that three-point foul or or some lapses I mean that's that's the biggest thing with Jetty I know <laughs> our our dear friend David Zavak uh took some exception to me saying if Jetty just played like his averages. He, he'd be a like much more valuable player, and he's like he does play as averages. They're his averages, which is a fair point. But I just feel like what you get from him on a nightly basis is a couple like standard deviations away from the mean uh, more than you get with most players. So um, I actually trust Danny Green to not go like to not break things on the offensive end a little more than Jetty at this point. I, I think he would stay within his role. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's going to come down to what JB sees in practice. And I, I know so often we, we pretend that the only thing that happens is within the, the 48 minutes and what we can see. But in reality, a lot of these decisions are made based on what you see in practice. And I, I do think that the Cavs, their ability to have good starts to the season, the last two years after a training camp, that's kind of bodes well, like that makes me feel good about what they can do after this week off Um, because it just the preparation has always felt that it's at a very high level. And I think if the Cavs can come out and and set the tone early on in that first game, I, I, I really feel good about their chances because I I think game two, I feel great about game one. I feel like might be a bit of a toss up.
0: Yeah. Uh, Go ahead, Jackson.
2: Uh, One thing you said about green and talking about like practices, I think, he is definitely plug and play on the offensive end, but it's so hard to recreate those. I think defense is where you really need that experience playing together, that feel of how, how do we play in a situation? When do I, you know, show, when do I recover all these, all these things that I feel like we just kind of gloss over sometimes. Cause it's more fun to talk about offense, Yeah, but that's, that's where my concern is. And it's like, if you're getting, you know, Jetty is volatile, but he knows how to play with this defense, or at least he has experience playing with this defense and everyone else has experience playing with him as well. So it's like, if I, if you trust Jetty more on defense, I don't see a reason why Danny green plays, unless you get like the jetty air ball game, which, you know, (laughs) you get, but he's been playing really good on offense recently. Is, like since the All Star break, he's shooting forty five point five percent on three point five catch and shoot threes per game, and I think that's kind of those catch and shoot threes is kind of an area that Jetty has struggled in. Jetty's been a better like off the dribble three point shooter, which really isn't like within the flow of the offense the same way that a catch and shoot three is. So I I kind of lean towards Jetty and. I feel like I'm going to regret that. But at this point, I just think that those game reps really matter.
1: No, I, I, I'm i following your thought process and I agree with you. I, I think that's, that's the tricky thing, right? It, is we don't know how it's going to go. Um, a couple good games aren't an indicator that the next one's going to be good with Jetty. Um, but I, I do think in terms of who's kind of earned it, who has the most familiarity within the system, uh, who's the most likely to be healthy, like, especially like, almost feel like danny green maybe you go to him in game three if it's not working out with jetty because typically role players do play their best at home and i I think so many of like the cavalanches we've seen uh that happens at home and jetty's usually a part of that and i think just giving him the the first two games as being that eighth guy off the bench um maybe you go quick cook um but i i think he would be that guy and uh you know some of the the on off numbers weren't great uh, for for Jetty at it, it kind of in the middle of the year. January was a real tough month for him. A lot of February was really tough, but you look post All Star break and after Evan Mobley, Darius Garland, and Jared Allen, it's Jetty Osman again. Like it's it's trending back up in the right direction, and I, I think he would probably be my pick as well as kind of the eighth guy uh, going into the playoffs.
0: Yeah. My view of the Danny Green situation is I just think he's definitely earned the break in case of emergency game. Like you said, potentially game three. If it's a situation where the, you know, back end of the bench just really isn't working out. I think you throw Danny Green in there. I think we've all had stretches this season where we've watched the Cavs and We're like, man, forget about defense. If they just had one guy who could shoot threes, like it would change everything. And in many ways that was kind of not to bring up Kevin Love, but if Kevin Love could have just continued hitting threes, he's probably still in a Cavalier uniform because like they just needed a guy who could shoot. They have a great defense. Even if you're, you know, they just need a guy who could just shoot. And if Danny Green can come in, give 12 productive minutes, that would be great. Uh, But I would definitely, as we all agree, Levert sixth man Uh Rubio. I, you know, I, I agree with what you said about Rubio too. I think the big thing for me, is that it's just not been his season. He has not looked himself. He's actually, I I found this stat, of the players who have attempted 175 shots this season, Rubio is shooting the third worst percentage. The jumper has just not been there. Scoring has not been there. And that's never been his game. But the thing for me is, like, Levert is bringing all of the playmaking that you need, really, so far with the second unit. And there's really no use in having Rubio out there, too, if he's not going to be any sort of threat offensively. And he's not exactly a great defender right now. So... I think you go with LeVert. I think Wade is probably the next man there just because, as we've mentioned with Jetty, he's a little volatile. You don't really know what you're going to expect from him. Wade, while he has struggled as well, I think he is less of a disruptor when he's not playing good. I think you kind of can rely on him a little more. And I also think it's just a good matchup for him in terms of like we will need rebounding most likely. He is someone who can catch and shoot. He's a good defender, better defender than Jetty. So probably going Lavert sixth man. Wade, seventh. And then, depending on the situation, could be Jetty, could be a Danny Green game. You could need Stevens. You could need Neto. It's just, I think JB really has this tough situation ahead of him, where it's like, I don't know. I don't think he knows who he's going to be able to rely on, and it's going to be a lot of pushing the right buttons at the right time. Yeah. Are we
2: sure that like Wade is better than Stevens at this point? Um, you know, if you need?
0: Yeah. If you would have I, asked I, me I, that a few weeks ago, I would have felt a lot more concerned but wade's confidence i think is the big thing for me recently the numbers the percentages still aren't great but he's looked a little more like himself so i would definitely i would give him the shot before i gave stevens the shot i guess if you uh, want to put it that way i would give him the minutes first and if it just absolutely tanks then you throw stevens in there
1: yeah my, my thing is i think Wade's the better defender of the two um and i think a 6-10 defender is a little more handy for this particular matchup and even if the shot isn't necessarily there like I just don't think you're going to have the the record scratch possessions with him on the offensive end where it's all right I'm going to dribble in take a turnaround 18 footer even though Lamar hits a decent number of those I just think Wade's more likely to stay within his role and even if the shot's not falling that's not too dissimilar to to Lamar when it comes to the three-point shooting so I think I just rather have kind of the the 6'10 defender out there and Especially when we were emphasizing so much of the need to kind of control the glass. Wade's not necessarily a great defender, but you do or a defensive rebounder, but you do see like his ability to contest shots and force misses and box out. Like I think it creates those rebounding opportunities that helps the Cavs as a team secure them. And when you look at the lineup data as well, I think it really does support that that he helps them out a fair bit on the glass. So I think that's why I lean Wade over Lamar and I mean, I, I I like that the confidence is there to take the shot. I, the, I haven't noticed the, the same kind of hitch that he had uh, dealing with the shoulder. I hope that continues. Um, obviously, whenever you're dealing with that, you're like one bump away from things going downhill. Um, but I, I think Wade would get my first nod. And I, I think, honestly, even the minutes down the stretch, I, I think are a reflection that JB's planning on going that way.
2: I just think the that idealized version of Wade and the Wade that we got at times last season and in the beginning of the season is kind of better than what we've seen recently. So I'm Agreed. still kind of, I feel like I know what Lamar is going to give you. I don't know if it's good, but at least I know what it is. Whereas like Wade, I, I feel like he just, he can just disappear for like 10 minute stretches. It feels like on the offensive end and Lamar doesn't. And that's, Maybe because he takes some bad shots. But he also, I feel like he's just a better off-ball mover, too. So, I don't know. I could could go either way.
1: Yeah, I I think he can be more of a chaos creator on the defensive end. Like, I think he can really kind of disrupt plays, whereas Wade, it's more kind of good positional Mm -hmm. defense, right? So, I I do think there's validity to that. And and at the end of the day, we're on the junkyard pod, right? Like, we got to get some love to Lamar. Exactly.
0: Lamar Stevens gets in a playoff game and they win. He's winning the chain. There's almost oh, a guarantee of I'm, that.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm going to be barking in the crowd. Trust me.
0: <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I agree with all your concerns about Wade. I uh, And, and even, even in Rubio's defense, I think Rubio and Wade probably get the first opportunity from JB in terms of like those back end rotation guys. LaVert will be the first man off the bench. But I do think JB gives Rubio his shot in the playoffs. I think Wade gets a shot. And then if Wade disappears for 10 minutes that's where you get jetty or maybe even stevens in the game i think one difference between stevens and wade that uh, kind of sways a little of the offensive side to stevens at times is the fact that stevens isn't going to be passive and just kind of disappear out there he's going to catch and he's going to attack he might not be a shooter but he'll catch off the dribble and go to the rim that's something that wade at times he's kind of just been out there catching the ball make a pass, catch the ball, make a pass. And if he doesn't have the confidence or the assertiveness to attack a closeout, then it's going to be really hard to play with him out there. And uh, you know, the big thing I think is that uh, again, just to circle back to Rubio and I just have to push my Levert agenda here. I know people were very upset that Levert wasn't moved at the deadline and they could have used another shooter. I still hear all those concerns, but considering how the season has played out with Rubio and how he's kind of just not been a factor I think the Cavs are very, very happy that they have Levert as their sixth man right now because, of course, he's a streaky player, and I don't want to, you know, place all my faith in him that he has turned the corner. But over since the trade deadline, really, he has played fantastic basketball on both ends of the floor. He's become such an important sixth man for them, and I really think just to give him credit and to kind of ease that concern that we had at the deadline, this roster looks a lot worse if they moved Levert for a catch-and-shoot guy, in my opinion considering how Rubio just has not been there for us. Uh, Anyone wants to chip in about Levert? I I, know we've talked about him so much.
1: I I mean, I I completely agree with that. Um, I think sometimes we forget that we're talking about humans, and I don't think it's any surprise that Karis Levert played a whole lot better when he's no longer on the trade block or, like, in every single trade rumor with the Cavs. His name's not coming up. Uh, I don't think that that's a coincidence at all, and... I, I mean, it's funny that, like, we're, we're sitting here and we're debating, like, who deserves it a little more with the second unit. I think the thing we can all agree on is the only person that deserves a, a solid spot in the second unit is Kara Silvert. Like if it's flat, if the Cavs are looking flat, I can see JB going to Lamarro over Dean or like going to Danny Green, right? Like I think Lavert is the one guy who you're going to ride the highs and lows. You're going to give him opportunities. And maybe there's games where Isaac plays more than him. Maybe there's games he plays more than Isaac. Um, but in, in terms of what's actually solid with the Cavs. We only have six options. So like, like assuming that Isaac Okoro is healthy, there are six guys that we can feel confident in, and the rest is a big question mark. And ultimately, the, the tape that we get from this is going to be informative, and I think it's it's going to influence how, how Kobe moves this offseason.
2: Yeah, and I think it's it's really interesting that like we're not talking about like Karis LeVert. Should he play? It's more like, will Karis LeVert close every single game as opposed to, you know... <laughs> Will he like play? So I think that like the second best move of the season by Kobe was keeping Levert. Obviously the first was signing Sam Merrill. We all agree on that obviously, but um, you know, so I just think that that's, you know, Karis, his, him buying into like his shot selection, just getting so much better throughout the season. We're seeing him take so many more threes now than he was beforehand. And it just really opens up the game and allows him to do what he does best. Yeah, agreed.
0: I agree. Well, let's get into final predictions here. Jackson, do you want to start us off? Uh
2: Cavs in five. I think five. I'm a coward for I'm not saying four. four. I five pressed the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> I, I pressed the wrong button. I
1: had the wrong drop there. But uh, Cavs in five <laughs> deserves the horns. Sorry to cut I, you off. <laughs> I
2: just think that... What the Cavs do best is what you need against this Knicks team. I don't. It's not a slight against the Knicks. I just think I. People have been talking about how the Knicks are a bad matchup for the Cavs, but I think it's really the other way around. We're they're talking about the Cavs not being like a physical team. I don't think that's what's gonna like if the Cavs lose this series. I don't think it's gonna be because of that. So the cat like I I just think this is a bad matchup for the Knicks. The Cavs. Can control the glass the calves can make their offense really difficult i think i don't think the knicks have a lot of counters when garland's out there with both allen and mobley on the, on the offensive end i think this is going to be a pretty pretty easy series for the calves
1: that's i like it i i wish i went to the <laughs> horns right away but i i like it i'm going to go calves in six um Reasoning for that has more to do with the Cavs than I think it does with the Knicks. I I do think people are painting the Knicks as being like a, a way more experienced team. And that's not really the case. Like Julius Randle and RJ Barrett got their five games a couple years ago. I think Karis and Jared Allen had played twice as many playoff games. Jalen Brunson and Donovan Mitchell have a lot of playoff experience. And outside of that, it's basically nothing. I do think... I, I think if the series does go six, it's going to be more about the Cavs than it is the Knicks. Like just kind of the, these letting an opportunity slip through their fingers. Like I can see a game that maybe they they should have won in New York uh going the wrong way. um I don't have as many concerns about the Cavs on the road overall. Like I think some of that's overblown. I think you look at the metrics, I think. There's indications that they're better than their record on the road um but you know i just do think sometimes it might come down to a little bit of youth and inexperience and maybe evan mobley or darius garland gets rushed for for one particular game and uh there, there's three days off and the news cycles suck and it's annoying for us all but i mean it's part of the process right and i i do think i do think if the Cavs are at their best i can see this being a shorter series especially if randall's not 100 so I think if they, I'll say this, if they win games one and two, it's Cavs in five. If they drop one of those, I, I think it's six.
0: Okay, that's fair. I was leaning Cavs in six, but Jackson's confidence gave me the confidence. I'm I'm going to say like Cavs and five. I mean, look just, at me being ca- a pessimist. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I said Cavs in five originally about a week ago or whatever. So, I mean, listen, I think it's really, it comes down to what it has been all season with this team. When they're on, they're on. And they're really, really tough to beat. The problem is they're a young team. This is their first year playing together with Mitchell at kind of, you know, as as the main guy there. And it's like it just takes time to put it all together consistently. It's not an easy thing to do to make that leap. And so if the Cavs play their brand of basketball, it could be over in five. And that's kind of i'm hoping for i mean listen if they play their brand of basketball it could be over in four but i'm assuming there's going to be at least one game where someone's off where someone has a little bit of a bump in the road there and so i could see it going six i think the knicks are a good team i think they're gonna you know they can give the Cavs trouble but as you know you both have mentioned i think the knicks are or the Cavs are a bad matchup for the knicks i do think it's more of the other way around there i think the Cavs do a lot of things that could give the knicks trouble and so much of the discussion seems to be centered around well, like what if the Cavs don't do this? What if they don't clean up the offensive glass? What if they don't play with toughness? And it's like, well, they've shown they can do that throughout the season. They've also shown that they have, you know, mental lapses in games where they kind of take their foot off the gas. But if they put it together, I'm going Cavs in five. I like it. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Junkyard Pod. Justin, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Jackson, thank you for, uh, you know, being a great co host. <laughs> and uh let's get some Cavs playoff basketball in here. I agree okay. go Cavs. <laughs>